0: Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. Hosted in Colonial Williamsburg in September 2016, this event featured commissioners from all 50 states to perform a test run of an Article 5 convention, the largest experiment of its kind. The simulation proved that this process really will work just as the Constitutional Framers knew it would. Over a period of two days, the commissioners ultimately debated eight proposals and passed six of them. This is Part 7 of the general session of the COS simulation.
1: All right, gentlemen, a very successful morning so far. Several amendments already passed. We'll get to those in just a second. Uh, one of the questions that we've been getting at hashtag COSM is, who are these folks? So, so who are the actual commissioners? Where did they come from? Kind of what positions do they hold back home? And
2: the vast majority are state legislators uh, from all 50 states. There's a handful of others, like Dr. John Eastman from California, former U.S. Supreme Court law clerk, uh, law school dean, conservative activist for many years. Uh, so there's a few supplemental folks like that, but uh, the vast majority are you know, the people that... Uh, actually have the power under Article 5, the state legislators.
1: By the way, for those of you that might just be tuning in, this is Mark Meckler, President of Citizens for Self-Governance. Mike Ferris, uh, founder and chancellor of Patrick Henry College, and also uh, really the visionary behind Convention of States, uh, Ken Clark, and myself, Rick Green. And Ken, we've had several questions coming in. What other questions are folks at home asking?
3: Well, one of the biggest questions, and I think is something that we address, we're going to be getting into a lot of um, Twitter questions and Facebook questions, but one thing that I keep seeing over and over again is, why are we here? What are we doing here? Let's explain that real quick, because I think that's really important. Mike?
2: Well, what we're doing is giving uh, knowledge, information, vision, and hope. Uh, hope that the federal government really can be curtailed, and that this process really can work, and that it's safe. The, we, we see a very deliberative, uh, informative process where the people that are, are making uh, the rules are doing it, you know, very seriously, and this gives us a hint of what would come at the official convention later on. And it, you know, it says this is safe; we can really curtail the federal government. This will work, and so it's, I think it's very hopeful.
1: Well, Mark, you mentioned this morning too. It's all, it's it's good to walk through this process before the real. I mean, I think a lot of these folks out here will be the commissioners from their states, so it, it's a great dry run to get to see what it will actually be like.
4: It is. When you're doing something of this magnitude, I think it's really important that you do a dry run, and we've learned a lot. I mean, there, there are so many things that you couldn't possibly anticipate until you hit the floor, put the rules in place, let people operate under those rules. There's so much collective wisdom in this room. Yeah. You can't help but learn. So we're going to learn. We'll reincorporate that into the existing set of rules and those experiences go forward. And as we move forward into the real convention, which I have no doubt we will, this experience will form the foundation for the actual convention.
1: And you say something of this magnitude. Uh, Mike, Ferris, I've heard you say on multiple occasions, I think it's very true, that we need a solution as big as the problem. That's so that right. goes back to why we're here. There's a big problem. This is the big solution. Right. If
2: we want to have government that, that reinstates the original vision of the Constitution, uh, we have to fix a lot of Supreme Court decisions and, and the pra- practice of the President and Congress over time in a lot of areas. So the Constitution has written, it's a good deal, but the enforcement of that has been taken from us by the collective power of Washington, D.C. And so we're stripping away that power, going back to the original balance of power between the states and the federal government with some more effective tools to achieve the exact same objective as the founders.
1: That, that, that is the big question, too. You said the the Constitution as written is great. Yeah. Because people will say, well, why would they follow what these guys are doing right. if they're not following the Constitution now? Address that one.
2: Because you put new pro- uh, processes in place to check them. We're not changing the spirit of anything, but we're changing, you know, like the vote requirements. Uh, you know, the original Constitution gave uh, Congress the power to tax. If you put a two thirds requirement, say, you can't pass taxes unless you have two thirds of Congress, well, That's a procedural limitation on the power to tax. It's really important that preserves the original intent of the government, that we have limited taxes and that we have a limited government. And so those kind of procedural checks tweak in the process because the founders really believe that process protects freedom. And so we don't want to change the freedom principles. We don't want to change the basics of anything. But we do need to tweak some Points of the process, and the founders said, "Real experience will show that we're going to need to make some changes over time." Yeah, and real experience has shown, and we don't have to change the spirit of anything. But you know, putting some checks on the Supreme Court, which is going to be debated right after lunch again. Uh, we need some processes to put some
3: checks there.
1: Yeah, because it has been their interpretation of the Constitution that that has been the problem. So that's essentially what we're doing here is allowing the states to overrule that. Ken, what else for folks at home asking?
3: Well, the first one was, and Mike, I think this follows greatly to what you were just saying, what have we done so far? What has happened with the simulated convention so far? What amendments have been proposed? What amendments have been passed? And so I happen to have a list right here, Mark. You want me to hand that yeah, to go, you? No, go, you go uh, through it, Well, and so far we've gotten four of them. And the first one is Proposal Number One, Debt Limitation Amendment. And I think that's very powerful. I'm not going to read it to you, but that's the first one that's been passed. And the In, second briefly, one...
2: Briefly, what that does is require the, the states to uh, approve, a majority of the states to approve any increase on the federal debt.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, so, right. in other words, we actually then have a real debt ceiling instead right. of the fake one that right. Congress
3: pretends they have right now, yeah. right? Are They're... we actually
1: saying 19 trillions already too much? I mean, we're we actually yeah. going gonna... right. to <laughs> we're actually going to limit it yeah, at this exactly. Point. I don't know,
3: give your teenager a credit card, see how well that works. <laughs> right, <out>. right. <laughs> Propos- the second amendment that has been passed so far is a regulating. Excuse me. It goes the power of Congress to regulate Congre- commerce among the several mm. states. In other words, redefining the commerce clause. Right. The vast
2: majority of federal overreach in the area of uh, economics, business transaction, even a lot of criminal law has been through the Commerce Clause. And so if we want to cut back federal regulation of our lives in general, that is the number one thing. In fact, if we got nothing out uh, of of the real thing besides that, we have done the nation a great service. You know,
4: I'd love to jump in on that. To me, and Mike said this, I think this is the most important one, and here's why there are so many places, that if you read the Constitution or read the enumerated powers, it seems so clear to us that the federal government does not have the authority to do the things they're doing, Yeah, right? according
1: to the plain language, it's you pretty got obvious. It. And,
4: then, and you mentioned this. People say, well, if they're not following the Constitution now, why will they follow it if we amend it? In fact, that's the primary question that I asked Mike Ferris when he brought this project to me, because that's the one thing that didn't make sense. So I'm biased. I think it's a great question, right? <laughs> but he had a better answer than the question. And the answer is, and, and a lot of conservatives are going to be stunned by what I'm about to say, Largely, they do follow the Constitution. The question is which one, right? Right, right. So is it the one under glass in the National Archives that we love? And the answer is no, that's not our Constitution anymore. If you want to look at the Constitution, you have to buy a book. It's over 2,000 pages. It's literally about this thick. And like it or not, that's the Constitution.
1: That's the The stitution That's that's a great way to put it. Exactly.
4: So that includes all those decisions of the Supreme Court, all the things that so offend us, all the things that have expanded government power. And for the people out there who say, we need to protect the Constitution as is, that's the one they're protecting.
1: That's true. It's so true. And this is the process for actually wiping out that constitution and coming back and you said redefining, but really restoring the original intent of the Commerce Clause, right? Right.
3: Yes, that's exactly what it does. Yeah. And I think Mike can speak to that better. But, real quick, we did just pass one more proposal. Everybody talks about the Tenth Amendment. Everybody talks about states' rights. Well, what about an amendment to give the states the ability to override a federal law, both passed and one that would happen in the future? Right.
2: right? Yeah. For example, uh, you know, not only Obamacare, but right now the EPA is doing their best to destroy. Uh, agriculture, the coal industry with this dust regulation. You know, you know the state legislatures are passing uh, resolutions, like I was in Virginia this year, where they passed a resolution to write a nasty letter to the EPA. Well, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. This proposal says you get together 30 states... You eliminate that regulation, and so it gives the, the, a real weapon to the states to make the 10th Amendment a real weapon, and that's what we need.
1: Well, guys, we've heard a lot of people say, you know, Convention of States is too complicated or hard, nullification is the easy route. Isn't this amendment that we just passed the proper constitutional way to nullify federal law? Isn't that what it, we're really exactly talking about doing Exactly, because
2: here? Uh, in the Articles of Confederation period, we had a problem when one state alone could stop needed changes. Like, we wanted to pay the people who had fought in the Revolutionary War. One state stopped that. And so they didn't want one state to stop anything. They wanted the states, collectively, to have the power to stop federal overreach. And Article 5 was the method they gave us. But we're going to give us a new weapon where we can stop not only constitutional-level decisions but statutory and regulatory-level decisions and have the states collectively, not all of them, but a, but a majority, a good majority, uh, have the ability to override federal overreach. And, you know, the states once again become far more robust, and the, the authority and the uh, dignity of being a state legislature legislator just goes up.
1: And by the way, folks at home, there's so much more information at conventionestates.com. If you'll go there, we're scratching the surface on a lot of these issues, but many of the objections or concerns about Convention Estates, you guys have written extensively on that. There's videos, there's a lot a lot of great tools, so be sure and visit conventionestates.com today as well.
3: Well, and I, I think that the the process, the deliberate, the deliberation that we've seen today speaks to how serious of a matter this is and how serious these people take it. Because this isn't somebody something that should be endeavored into lightly. Right. And and that has been very evident with what right. we've seen I've so far. I've heard
1: that from so many people even here saying, yeah. look, I came to this over a period of years. I, I didn't just jump on the bandwagon. Right. It took years of research. I think maybe all of us went through that yeah. as well. So like you said, they're taking this very serious. Mm-hmm. These are These are thinking folks out here. And you can tell even in, in the way they deliberate each of these amendments how serious it is to them.
3: So another question that we have from Facebook, and this comes from Trish. And, Mark, I'm going to propose this one to you can they remove the power that a president has while in office i'm not sure i understand the
4: question but i'll rephrase it as best i can hopefully i'm addressing trish's question in other words can we limit presidential power, executive power, generally speaking. When she says, while in office, I'm, I'm trying to understand if she means midstream in a presidential term, but I'm just gonna address it generally. And the answer is yes, they can redefine and limit the power of the executive. That comes within our application. There's an interesting power that the president has that we've heard a lot about recently. and It's this power to issue executive orders. You know, it doesn't actually say anywhere in the Constitution what that power is or how or if it's limited. I think the founders would be astounded. They never intended for the executive to be able to legislate through the use of executive orders. And we are definitely seeing that now. I mean, we see many instances of this. So that's one area where I can imagine a convention could specifically prescribe what a president can and cannot do through the use of executive orders.
2: Right. At the real convention, you could address it a little more head-on. But the abrogation amendment that we just talked about Would uh, uh, you know uh, have the ability to take an eraser from the states and take out any executive
3: order that the president issued? And I think that's critical. I think the states are screaming for it. I think the people of this country are screaming for it as well.
1: Yeah, even if they can't describe or define the terminology, people know in their gut, you know, just because a president has a pen and a phone to be able to make law on their own, we know that's wrong, but we're watching it happen, going, Well, how do we respond? How do we stop it? This is the answer right here. This is how you stop that overreach from any of these federal branches,
4: you know, and Ken before we go to the next question, there's a sort of a general overarching thing that I want to discuss, which is this is not the convention, right? It's it's actually substantially different in that we only have a couple of days. Right. I mean, in a real convention, we'd still be discussing procedural matters here, right? We <laughs> right. wouldn't be into the substance. So these commissioners from all over the country have done an extraordinary job truncating this thing, getting into committees, debating in short order, coming to a conclusion in short order. So, But it is... It's important to note the product that they're coming out with, while it is good, it is not, in my opinion, near as good as it would be in a real convention. Because they just don't have the time to spend debating. And man, I saw a lot of learning going on in those committee meetings. A lot of opinions being changed and adjusted and language being tweaked. If you were in a real convention with an unlimited amount of time, I presume what would come out would be better than what yeah. we're getting here. And what we're getting here, I think, is very good. Right. But it is not final product by any means. Yeah,
2: I mean, some of the amendments I wrote or drafted in at you know, least part or all of them. And I was sitting in committee yesterday and going, you know, that suggestion against uh, about my my language is really good. Yeah. I, I like that. Let's, you know, let's tweak that. And we so, even heard
1: people get up and say in yeah. committee I voted against this. But now that I hear yeah. more of the debate right. and I learn more, I'm actually for it. So
2: the, the – the reason you don't want to go away from the convention process is that we can we can improve language. Things that I've studied for 30 years and you know drafted an amendment. You know, it's really pretty good, I think. And they and they left it mostly intact. Some of it they changed, and the changes in every case to my language was an improvement. So the process is so important yeah. and will help us. Because you know the, the Bible says that uh, iron sharpens iron. That's, right. That's what we see going on here. And it's really a terrific this process. This truly
1: is wisdom in the multitude of, of it, counselors. Right. And, it's, and, it, and you guys are improving each other even as, as you debate these things. Well, but
3: I think it brings up a very good point that Jim on Facebook had asked us, who are these commissioners? Where do they come from? How many states are represented? Who are these people? Because, uh, Mike, you had mentioned that the suggestions you're getting are very good. They're very deliberate. So who are these folks?
2: Well, uh, all 50 states are here, and they are in 90% of the cases, round numbers, state legislators. And they're used to writing law. There's a handful of lawyers here, uh, but they're mostly not lawyers. They're mostly state legislators. As a
4: lawyer, I would say thank goodness yeah, to praise that. Praise God, <laughs>
2: me too. Uh, I mean, we've got, you know, at the, at the pinnacle of, of lawyers, we've got, you know, a guy that has been a law school dean and was a clerk for the U.S. Supreme Court. So, but, you know, we've got some of us. And that professors
1: more... that this is their expertise, yeah, I and mean, they've been that's doing this right. for decades. But,
2: but But nonetheless, the vast majority are people with common sense who've been elected by the people of their state. They're not career politicians, but they're wise in the ways of legislating, and they're tired of federal overreach. So that's one thing, is these people are tired of federal overreach, and that's true when I go out in state legislatures in every state. I don't care if it's red, blue, or purple. States are sick of Congress telling them what to do.
3: And so this is how the people acting through their state legislatures can affect the federal government because this right. is the only tool right. the Constitution gives the state legislators to do anything about Washington DC. Am I right or wrong in that?
2: That's, that's exactly right. This this is the tool where we change. the The supreme law of the land is the Constitution. The supreme power of the land is to be able to lawfully change the Constitution by yourself. Only state legislatures have that power, and this is the way that they do it.
1: Let me get you guys to comment on what happens from here. How does this simulated convention affect the efforts back home? We've been asked how many states have actually passed actual applications. How do you think this affects the legislative sessions coming up in just the next few months in terms of momentum for truly adopting this and making it happen?
4: Look, any time that you educate people, you empower them, right? And so knowledge in action is power. And so what we see is we've got legislators from all over the country here and non-legislators, citizen activists, and they're learning about the process. The entire purpose of this event is teaching, right? Collective learning, getting together, learning these lessons together, getting better. But it will naturally generate enthusiasm for the movement. I think there are a lot of people out there watching, maybe for the first time, for the first time for sure, none of us have ever seen this before, Right. right? And they're looking at this and saying, wow, it's actually working. It's a deliberative process. I'm impressed by the quality of the debate I'm hearing. So I think there are people who've never even heard of it that are gonna see this and be impressed. And I think that builds enthusiasm. And truly, the Convention of States project has to be a grassroots movement by nature. And so, as much as this might affect legislators, I think it affects the grassroots even more. You'll see the enthusiasm blossom beyond the 1.5 million people roughly who already support it. You know, interesting note for those of you who are watching out there, whether you're involved or not already, today, Convention of States Project has literally volunteers or people who have signed in support in 100% of state legislative districts in the country. Every wow. single one, never been done before. We actually had to send a guy out in the field into New Hampshire to nail down those last couple of districts. Last... Yeah. <laughs> well, I
1: remember that's kind of what got me excited, Mike. Even three years ago at one of our legislators' conference, you got up and started describing the grassroots process for doing this. So it was no longer just a theoretical discussion of us all sitting around and saying, hey, what if we did this? You laid out a plan for how you would actually, and this was one of the goals, to yeah. have people in every legislative district, and it's happening.
2: Yeah, and I borrowed on my 30 years of helping homeschoolers fight for freedom Yeah, and thought, you know, when there's a reasonable number of people who contact their legislators in any state, the vast majority of them will listen and often respond. And if you put enough pressure on state legislators... You can get stuff done. And you don't need a majority of America because a majority doesn't participate. Victory in politics always goes to a majority of those who participate. And in state legislative matters, less than 1% of the people ever participate. And so with 1% of the American public, that's about 3 million people. We can – I guarantee you this gets done. 3 million people spread out evenly among their legislators – this will pass.
1: It's real. It's incredibly yeah. realistic. And you mentioned both the legislators and the grassroots folks going home with momentum from this. Just sitting around in the meals or out in the hallway talking to some of these legislators that attempted to get this passed last session. I can see the, the optimism in their eyes and in the things they're saying because now they're not just again theoretically talking about it. They're going to be able to go back home and talk to their fellow legislators and say look, let me tell you exactly how it worked. I can tell you from first hand. It can be done. It will be effective. So they're going home more motivated. And like you said, Mark, all these folks at home watching today. You guys need to be sharing this on Facebook and Twitter. Everybody at home needs to be talking as well and showing them the realism of how this can be done.
4: Well, and I hope uh, that people will also watch. You can see on our Facebook page we have links to, uh, we had James Madison come speak to yeah. us. And it was really extraordinary, right? A piece of living history. It wasn't the
1: real, just just in (laughs) case anybody was. I sure felt like it (laughs)
4: to me, man. So, you know, here uh, in Williamsburg, there's historical reenactors. Madison comes and and spoke to the assembly here. It was really extraordinary to hear him talk about the history of the Constitution, how it developed, the history of Article 5. And he, he used this metaphor talking about a blank piece of parchment. And how everything in American history, in his life and in history, generally starts as a blank piece of parchment. And I think where we're at right now, really, Article 5 and the use of this second clause of Article 5 was, until this event, a blank piece of parchment. It's true. You know, we've been writing a couple of notes on it as, as we build out our network. But I think the first chapter is now written on that first piece of parchment, and that's this event. Yeah. And history will record this event. For those of you who are watching, I mean this with all sincerity. You ought to write this down. Yeah, yeah. I ought to put it in your diary or your journal. If you know American history, you know the Annapolis Convention is critical to the whole process of of the drafting of the Constitution and passage, ultimately. And when people study seventeen eighty seven, the convention, they have to look back to Annapolis, right? right this is the equivalent to annapolis in my opinion this the actual convention doesn't take place without this convention first and when historians study it when our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids study it yes they will study when we actually hold the convention but they will say how did this happen and they will look to history and they will look to this event they'll want to know who was here they'll want to know what was said they'll want to know what amendments were debated and passed this is literally extraordinarily history in the making. It's an incredible privilege to sit in the middle no of this doubt. thing.
1: Yeah. No doubt, and you may be—you know—people at home may be saying, "Well, I'm not there, and and what can I do, and that sort of thing." I'm not a constitutional scholar like Mike Fairs. Haven't headed up a huge grassroots organization uh, like you have, Mark, or radio host like Ken and I. But there are all kinds of tools at our website right. at conventionestates.com that people at home can use. I mean, you could, we've created, everything's at their fingertips, now they can go out there and use that in social media to help well, and move I think,
3: people. I think one of the things that we have the benefit of that we didn't have in Annapolis or things like that is what the four of us are doing right now and what we've been doing all day. This event is being streamed live on the internet and there are literally thousands of different people out there, there are literally thousands of watch parties going off throughout the country right now as we speak. So talk about transparency. Talk about documentation. Talk about seeing the live debate. Which one of us wouldn't have Given our left arm, okay, right. to be in that room yeah. in 1787. I'm glad you said left, not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that one I can do without. Yeah. So, but I mean, think about that. Yeah. And think about the millions of people that are going to be affected because they're going to be able to go watch the committee hearings right. that happened yesterday, watch the live deba- debate. In the committee that I was filming yesterday, they had subcommittees, and I was able to get what was going on in each amendment. That's powerful, and these people will understand just how deliberative of a process this truly is
1: as these commissioners uh, fit wrap up lunch and come in what should we expect for the afternoon what's what's next
2: well the very next thing is going to be uh, a proposal that was being tweaked out in the hallway I was out there helping with the tweaking process on giving the states the ability to override decisions of the Supreme Court of the United States mm. uh, the Supreme Court was intended to be a court not a legislature but way too often they act like a legislature and so we're giving uh, a mechanism for the states to fight back against that. Well,
1: in fact, didn't Hamilton tell us we didn't have to fear yeah. the court unless they acted like the legislature exactly. which is what they've been doing?
2: That's exactly right. And then, you know, then he says it's just utter despotism. Yeah. And so we're here to stop despots. It's a really simple thing. It's exactly it? what yeah, we're doing. So, right.
1: folks, you want to know how to solve it? We're about to watch it happen right here. They're going to be debating that amendment in just a few moments. Let's get back to the action.
0: Check out more content at conventionofstates.com pod. Thank you for listening.